What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. This week, we're talking money and specifically profit. We're talking about that with Ben McAdam of Profits Collective. And note, we're not talking about just making more revenue in your business, but actually making your business more profitable. Now, throughout this season of the Wellpreneur podcast, we're really talking about alignment and freedom in your business. And having more profit is directly going to give you you more flexibility and freedom because you'll have more options, more cash on hand that's freed up to do things with, to make investments, to build out your team, to invest in your automation, or whatever it is that you want to create in your business. So I think you're really going to like this interview with Ben McAdam. Okay, I'm sure you're all really excited to learn how to have more profit in your business, which is something that we all would like to have. So we'll get straight into the interview right now. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So we just recently saw each other in Bangkok, and um, I am really excited to have you on here because you run the Profits Collective. And I think from our conversations, I just think this is a conversation that needs to happen in front of a larger audience. So thanks for taking the time this evening. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) So how do you, to start off, just why don't you explain to everyone what it is that you do? What's your business? Okay, so probably the simplest way to explain it is I'm like a profits coach. So anything to do with your numbers, especially using them to get more profits, uh, understanding why you're not having more profits that you think you should, uh, that's kind of my job. Um, you mentioned there's there's a lot of coaches listening to this, so I can just say I'm a coach and they know exactly what I mean, which exactly. is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I started as an accountant and... But I always wanted to like, like I really like the helping people and the advising aspect of being a coach, and I I didn't really fit in as an accountant, um, and I don't know. I sometimes describe myself as like the love child between an accountant and a business coach. But some people give me weird looks when I say that, and some people go, "Oh yeah," and now I understand. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. Um, because I know sometimes, you know, sometimes we all have an account. Most of us have accountants. I guess all of us have accountants. But you don't always have that that type of relationship with your accountant. Sometimes it's just very functional. They just produce the accounts and that's it. But to actually have somebody that understands your business and can give you advice is just invaluable. That's amazing. So I'm hoping we can, yeah, talk about some of that today and get some general advice for all of us. Yeah, sounds good. Back in my accounting days, I had like a bookkeeping business, had a tax practice, and I realized that most of the reason why I was signing up clients so fast for those businesses was because I talked to them about what the numbers meant for their business. And apparently no other accountants and bookkeepers were doing that right. kind of thing, or they they weren't doing it well. And so I thought, you know what? 
I actually prefer that part anyway. How about we just get rid of the bookkeeping and tax and I just focus on helping people? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk about that. So you, in the Profits Collective, you're helping business owners to be more profitable. And so just a really basic question is, well, to be more profitable, don't we just need to make more money, like bring in more revenue? And I know the answer is no, but I'm wondering if you can talk about that because I think that's where people's minds would go first. Well, I just make more money. But tell us the truth behind that. Okay. So there's uh, this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. The idea is like, oh, if we want to make more money, we just need to focus on sales. You know, get more money coming in the door. Um, and I'd say that's maybe 70%, 80% true. Uh, you do have to focus on not spending too much of that money, not wasting too much of that money. And you especially need to keep an eye on your margins because if each new dollar of sales revenue that comes in costs you too much to provide the service or, or, or to help that particular client, then selling more can actually send you backwards. It can make you less profitable. Uh, and one of the things I usually do with my clients is I say, that's, that's the first thing I look at. I say, okay, if you get 10 more clients, how much is it going to cost you? Is it actually going to be a beneficial thing? Can you get those clients affordably? Like, Do you have to spend ridiculous amounts on marketing so that each new customer is barely profitable? Is it worth your time? All this time you're putting in, is, is the profit you're getting from all these clients actually worth it? And if it is, let's not sell anymore. Maybe let's think about decreasing the volume and then you can get the work-life balance that you're after or you know the right mix of profit and time and you can maybe focus on doing something else or for a different kind of people so that it, you know, there may be a better route to your goals than just doing exactly what you're doing but more doing more sales. Does that make sense? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So how do we start to look at that in our businesses? Is it breaking down, I guess it sounds like breaking down what we're selling and then seeing what the cost of that sale is? Absolutely, yes. So the cost of the sale. So I mentioned margins in there and that's, that's a really, really big deal for physical product businesses and service businesses. If, uh, Somebody listening to this as a coach and they're just providing their services one-on-one, they might think, oh, yeah, this doesn't really apply to me. But if you want to help a lot of people, you're going to need a team of people to help you do that because there's only so much of your own time that you can sell. Um, Even if you branch out into courses and info products and things like that, uh, you can't quite have the same depth of impact on people as you can if there's a live person on the other side of the microphone. It doesn't have to be you. So you really need to focus on getting this right so that each client that comes in for you to provide the service to them or for you to get the physical product to them, there might not be many people that do that, but the cost of, of actually doing the thing they're paying you for, um, the magic number is it has to be less than a third of what you're charging them. Or if you want to start with your cost, you multiply it by at least three and that's what your price should be. And the reason why that magic number exists and the reason why I like get on my soapbox about this as often as I can is because I see I've seen a lot of businesses where their margins are nowhere near that three. It's like they sell something for a hundred dollars and it costs them eighty dollars or ninety dollars to provide that. And then there's no money left over for marketing, for accounting and bank fees, for insurance, for rent. I mean not for those of us that are online, but, you know, it's on the mm-hmm. list. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's barely any money left over to pay you for all of your time and risk putting all this together as compared to like just, you know, going and getting a traditional job where you can clock off at the end of the day and not think about it anymore. So making sure that that core part of your business, the thing you're selling that not costing too much, um, that's like the 80-20 of profits. And it's usually the first thing I talk to people about. I say, all right, what's your price and how much does it cost you to do it? Because it's so key to making sure that the rest of the business actually works. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of a mindset shift in there, which um, some people listening probably will have made already and others won't have. But, you know, if you're looking in the personal finance world, maybe, oh, well, something cost me 80 bucks and then I'm actually getting 100 for it. Great. Like I made a profit. (laughs) But if you start, if the mindset shift is thinking of your business as, I'm curious to get your opinion on this, like as an investment vehicle, like this is a business. It's Mm -hmm. a thing that needs to run on its own. It's not just about you like getting a few dollars here and there off the top and profit, right? It needs to Mm -hmm. be like a profitable thing. So then we have to take into account all that other stuff you talked about. So like the taxes and the, like all the rent and all the expenses, all that other stuff that goes into it. Absolutely. Um, What I've noticed is like there are some people and we probably all know someone like this who will go on a site like Craigslist or eBay or Gumtree here in Australia. They'll see something that someone's selling and they'll send them a quick message and say, I'll give you half the price for it. And they do a bit of haggling through some messages and the person says yes. And they get it and they're like, yes, I'm a business (laughs) genius. I'm a negotiating (laughs) wizard. This is fantastic. I think the, you know, the only the point here is just to like negotiate a little bit of a lower price and that's like the secret to getting wealthy. Um, then kind of like that, that's like the people who make a little bit of money on the side and, and have a bit of fun. You might as well like go put your money in the poker, poker machines. <laughs> um, then the next level up is the people who do what you said. It's like they bought something for $80 and they sell it for $100 and it's fun, but they can't do that full time. They can't quit a job that they have or move out of a business that they don't really like on those kind of numbers. The bigger a business is, usually the bigger the margins are. Like if if you meet somebody and their business is at $100,000 of revenue, revenue, there's a fairly good chance that their margins, maybe 50%, they're charging double what something costs. Um, If you meet somebody that's more towards seven figures, they've managed to widen that margin because that's the only way that they can afford things like marketing and managers and advisors that help them go from six figures to seven figures. So that's why I've said a few times, and I probably will again, <laughs> sorry, that like getting that gap is really, really critical because even if you sell more, it doesn't help you get to the next level. It doesn't mm-hmm. help you reach a wider audience and help a broader amount of people. Mm-hmm. So as part of that, you know, building in that that gap um, and we're, when we're calculating how much it actually costs us to deliver these things, we need to know the cost of us and our time, mm-hmm. right? And so this is something that I really wanted to ask you is about paying ourselves as the business owner. I found this really difficult to know at what point, well, for a while I didn't really pay myself. I just took money when I like desperately needed it, which was crazy. <laughs> and then I realized several years ago, actually, it's much better if you just pay yourself something regular, but to know the amount to pay yourself. Um, so how do we, how do we know that? What are your thoughts about owner pay? Yes, it's, um, 
something I posted about in LinkedIn recently, but unfortunately LinkedIn has a short character limit. I couldn't go nearly in as much depth as I wanted to. Um, what, what I've noticed is there's, there's kind of some stages of being in business. And um, at the very beginning, you kind of pull out the money whenever you need it, or you pull out all the money, basically all the money when your business is just starting. Um, you pull out quite a lot of the money, as much as you need it whenever you need it. And then the next level is where you start paying yourself a fixed amount because you need some reliable amount. You know that you can then commit to renting somewhere or you can commit to a big future expense like traveling or hiring somebody. So you need some sort of regularity to this system. And so you start paying yourself some regular amount. And that's great, but there's this big question, like how much should that amount be? Mm-hmm. Initially, I say, well, figure out what your business can afford and start a little bit below that number so that you can kind of test it. You can pay yourself that amount through your you know, through your busy period, through your quiet period, if, if your business is seasonal, and you can see that that amount actually works. Or you can go, you know, all profits coachy about it, and you can actually put together a spreadsheet and say, you know, okay, here's the amount of money I expect to come in in each of these months. Here are the expenses I expect to have to pay in each of those months. And so the difference between those is the, diff- the uh, movement in my bank account for that month. So plug in your beginning bank balance and you can kind of estimate what your bank balance is going to be every month for three, six, 12 months into the future. And then you can plug in your own pay at different levels and see what goes wrong or whether you've got more room than you thought. Um, So that's kind of like the third stage is when you start getting a bit more, um, not practical is the wrong word, but you, you get a bit more definite about it instead of like just doing whatever works in the short term. You start thinking about the long term, you start looking into the future, you start using real numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to put it together. You can use, you know, a bookkeeper or a virtual assistant with a little bit of training could do just a basic spreadsheet. Um, and then you'll be able to see, okay, yes, my business can afford this amount. And then the next question you start asking yourself is, okay, what amount should I be paying myself? Not mm-hmm. what amount can I pay myself? But what amount should I pay myself? And this was something I posted about recently, is that it should ideally be a market rate for what you do in the business, the tasks in the business, the role you have in the business. Imagine that you have to hire someone to replace you for all the things that you do. How much is that person going to cost? Like when your business is small, you might be thinking like, uh, you know, say 100000 in revenue. The person to replace you might be a part-time manager or like a project manager person because a business at 100000 isn't as complicated as larger businesses. Whereas if you're talking like a seven-figure or an eight-figure business, you might start throwing around titles like um, operations manager or CEO or things like that because there are so many moving parts and the business has to keep an eye on you know, competitors and the market and the economy and things like that. Bigger challenges um, requires a different role and therefore you would have to pay someone uh, quite a bit more to replace you in that scenario. And the reason why I say see if your business can afford to pay your market rate is because if it can't, then something else is broken in your business and you can't mm-hmm. and it's been hidden because you're paying yourself less than minimum wage or you know for the 80 hours a week you're working or something crazy like that so 
you don't necessarily have to transfer the money out into your personal bank account at a market rate, but just make sure your business could afford to if you wanted to. And if it can't, you think, okay, why can't the business afford it? Is it because my margins are wrong, like we were talking about a little while ago? Is it because I just don't have the volumes, volume of sales that I need, like this place that I'm in at this level of sales and this particular uh, scale is not profitable and I need to either be above it or I need to be below it, but I can't stay in this horrible space here because it's just you know not profitable enough. So I need to push through to the next growth level or maybe maybe retreat to a more comfortable one. So a market rate salary in your business, you know, just calculating whether your business is profitable will highlight whether there's any other problems. And sometimes mm. this is the only way to spot those problems is to do this mental exercise. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great. Thank you. Um, I don't. So there's some something came up recently um, when I was hearing somebody talking. I, I touched on this a little bit before about this idea of just playing a game and kind of stepping out of this. I'm working in the business and thinking of your business as if you were an investor or a board member. Mm -hmm. And like this is a it's an at your business is an asset that's generating profits for you and generating revenue for you. So. I guess it seems to me there's a I mean, there's totally a link here, like looking at you know, if you can't pay yourself market, basically getting your business to a point where you could pay yourself a market salary, because then theoretically it should be working more like an asset, right? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, I often talk about that there's like two yous in the business, two of, two of you um, that are in the business. One is you that does the work um, that gets replaced by a market rate salary person. And then there's you, the owner of this investment um, that investor you or owner you um, doesn't do any work in the business. They own the business like they might own real estate or they might own shares on the stock exchange or mutual funds or or any other kind of investment. We've just talked about the worker you, the person who does the work inside the business. We've talked about them getting a decent amount of pay for what they do. But it's good that you brought up that there's this investor person that also wants some money. Mm -hmm. This investor person wants a good return on the money that they're reinvesting in the business. So, for example, you know, you, you get some money in the door and you spend it on delivering the service or whatever the person paid you for. You spend it on some admin and overheads and things. And then you might spend it on marketing to get the next customer. Or you might spend it on some sort of a growth project to improve the business. Those are expenses that the investor is saying, I like this business. I, I reckon it can go somewhere. So I'm going to put the money back into the business, reinvest it into keeping it going. So I'm going to spend that money on marketing. I'm going to invest in this growth project instead of pulling that money out and just letting the, the business fizzle out and, and end. So the investor is always making this decision of I'm going to invest my money in the business or I'm going to invest my money in some other kind of investment. And the reason why they constantly choose to reinvest in the business has to be because the business is worth reinvesting in. So the investor needs to be getting some money as well. So worker use getting a market rate. And then for the investor, I usually say that a mature business should be aiming for 15 to 20% of sales being profit. So mm. um, sales of 100,000 um, for a year, 
and then 15,000 to 20,000 should be the profit figure. And that's after you've paid a market rate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So then if you're satisfying both of these people, um, then you're not screwing yourself over in one way or the other. It's like, <laughs> you know, one of you could be doing something different with their time and would be better off. So like if worker you isn't getting paid a market rate, well, why don't they just go get a job? It's kind of insane to keep doing what they're doing. Um, and the same thing for the investor. It's like, well, if they're constantly pouring money in from their personal savings into this business that doesn't seem to be working, um, then the investor is crazy and they're you know, chopping their nose off despite their face. Why would they mm -hmm. keep doing that? So having these two metrics of paying yourself a market rate for the work you do and then making sure you're aiming for a good return for that investor you, again, it's a similar concept. It will highlight if anything about your business isn't working properly. And normally, it's your pricing is too low. But before I segue into that uh, passion point of mine, I just wanted to check in and, and, and see if that made sense, what I've said so far. Yeah, I think that's great. It's really good to think about, especially the point that we should be aiming for 15 to 20% profit after the market rate salary. So that's mm. not just pay yourself 15 to 20%. That's you pay yourself a proper salary and then have that on top. Um, that's, yeah, that's really good. Thank you. So let's talk. Do you want to talk more about pricing? Yes. <laughs> go, Always. you go. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think undercharging is pervasive. I see that all the time. So tell us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I used to think that that was like a bad thing. And I will admit I was a little judgy about people who undercharge. I'm like, why don't you just charge what you're worth? But I've kind of uh, woken up to the fact that judgy isn't helpful to anybody. It's not very mm -hmm. nice. And, and realize that in the beginning, undercharging is okay. Because like when you first start doing what you do, you have no track record, um, no testimonials, um, no reason that, that anyone, anyone should risk uh, doing something with you, um, or, or not no reason, maybe less reason than your competitors. And so one way you can stand out, one way you can get clients is by charging a little bit less. And that's a fine way to start. Um, I would almost say that I would recommend starting that way, is charging a little bit less. The problem is at some point you need to stop doing that. You need to raise your prices up to the level of your competitors and ideally even higher, being the premium provider that people go to. Some of them will go to you just because you cost more than other people. Mm -hmm. They'll just assume you must be the best. Or you can like be the premium provider and actually be worth it because you're better than your competitors. You get better results. So you need to stop undercharging at some point. Like, yes, start by undercharging. That's fine. At some point, you need to stop doing that because it will limit the size of the business, uh, limit the size of your profits and the amount of pay that you can take home. It'll limit the impact you can have. You can affect fewer people if you don't stop undercharging. I noticed there was... Um, in your most popular episodes list, uh, there was one on money mindset by, mm -hmm. um, I can't remember her name, Lucky Denise Bitch. Duff yeah. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. Denise Duffield Thomas. Mm -hmm. Yes. She, she's got some fantastic stuff to say about money mindset. And I did see that she addressed a couple of these points about what stops people from raising their prices, what stops them from charging at all, 
or at least charging a decent amount that means they can support their business. So if anyone hasn't had a listen to that, they should go back. Saved me a bit of time talking about that. So to to stop undercharging, apart from the mindset issues, um, you're going to have to raise your prices, which is always a tough thing for people to do. And there's a like a little mental exercise I get people to do to help them get past the fear of raising prices. And the main fear is that the clients and customers will leave if you charge them more and therefore mm. your business will die. Um, so the exercise I usually say to people, I say, okay, let's say that you've got $1,000 in sales. That's a day, a week, a month, whatever time period, but you've got $1,000 in sales from 10 clients. So charging them $100 each. Let's say, let's keep the numbers nice and metric. Um, $1,000, 10 clients. So you, let's double your prices. So now you're earning $2,000 in sales from these 10 clients. Mm-hmm. That's like, great, fantastic, except that half of them hate you all of a sudden and they run away. And so suddenly you're back down to $1,000 of sales from five clients, like half of your client base has just left, which is a bit of a scarring experience for many people. Mm-hmm. And you're back where you started with the same number of dollars. So it's, you know, it's a bit of a traumatic emotional roller coaster. Why did you do this to me, Ben? Um, but the key piece there is that yes, you're earning the same amount of sales, but you've got half the number of clients. So you've got half the number of costs. You've got a much less complicated business, so you don't need as many managers and virtual assistants and project management software and processes and all that because your business is less complicated. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot less cost. So even though half of your client base ran away, you're actually significantly more profitable. Mm. Um, I actually have a blog post on my website, which I'll, I'll give you later to put into the show notes, which has the numbers you can look up. So you might not want to double your price rise. Maybe you only want to put it up 10, 25%. And how, what kind of percentage of customers leaving can you afford and still be just as profitable as you were beforehand? Mm. And the good news is that people who have terrible margins, who are like spending $99 for something they're charging $100 for, those people can double, quadruple, triple their prices and have almost all of their customers leave and they'll still be just as profitable. So, if you haven't got the margins piece right, if you've been undercharging, there's a likelihood that you can actually afford to lose quite a lot of customers and do quite a dramatic price rise, and it still all works out. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So how how do you recommend finding what that new price point is? Is it looking at your competitors and and going a bit higher, or what? Yeah, what do you recommend there? Yeah, there's uh, a few different ways to to raise your prices. I usually recommend that whatever method you choose, do a small, uh, not public test with a small, like choose a small segment of your clients, send them an email or have a phone call with them. Don't post it on your Instagram um, and just say, hey, in a month's time, my prices are going to go up um, and you can, you know, there's ways to phrase that so it's it's nicer and it goes down smoother and they realize that you haven't raised your prices in the last 10 years and it's only fair and they're getting so much value and all that kind of stuff. There's ways to phrase that that I don't think we'll have time to go into today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do that email, you have that call with that small segment of your customers and you see what happens. If they all stay or even better, if some of them say, you know what, I've always thought you charged a little bit too little, but I never wanted to say anything because I like not paying <laughs> as much. 
I've had that happen as a buyer, you know, where somebody will raise their prices and you think, oh, good for you because I've been getting yeah. a super deal for the past few years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I've had that as well. Um, actually, I was I was really, really terrible about this in the first six months of my business because um, I really started going full time with the self-employed business thing when my daughter was almost born and in the early months of her life. And uh, so I was I, I was undercharging because I wanted to get the work in because getting the work in meant I could justify being working from home, spending time with my newborn daughter, which was like the number one priority in my life at that time. And um, so I undercharged and there were a couple of clients who when I quoted the prices on the sales call said, that's kind of a bit low. Um, <laughs> are you actually going to be able to do the work for that little money? Um, which was a bit of a, you know, that blew my mind that people would say that. And yes, my mm -hmm. prices went up quite substantially after that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's it's further supported by like, um, I have a number of clients that do web design for corporate businesses or, you know, really big enterprise level businesses. And the thing that they had to to realize is that if you charge too little, the client will turn away from you because they will assume you can't possibly give them the level of service or the result that they want. Mm -hmm. Like they expect mm -hmm. to pay a certain amount. They're happy to pay a certain amount. If you come under that, you'll lose the sale. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of people like um, for the health coaches listening um, there are a lot of people who, if you charge too little, they are thinking that you're no good mm -hmm. and they're less likely to actually sign up with you. Um, and I did this with a personal trainer, actually. Um, he quoted his rates and I went, um, uh, and I ended up going with somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, That's crazy, isn't it? Because you yeah. never, as the person selling the thing, you, I mean, I know there's all those issues around, oh, no one's going to pay this and it's going to be so expensive, so we'll give them a deal. But from a buyer perspective, you want somebody that's going to get you the result. And often that means you, like you're expecting to pay that amount, like you said. Yes, um, Yeah, that's great. That's really um, good. So for actually setting prices, yes, look at your competitors and be somewhere in that ballpark. Um so to move away from doing the small test idea, yes, you can start with your competitors. You can do a small percentage increase on your own prices and just say, like, you know, inflation is somewhere between 3 to 5%, depending on where you are in the world and how terrible the economy is. Inflation is somewhere between 3 to 5% a year, so you could use that as a number and you could put your prices up once a year by that amount. At least mm -hmm. that's something. Mm -hmm. If you're undercharging, you probably need to put it up a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. um, another idea is to go uh, do the new prices um, on new clients first. Um, if you talk to people about, you know, have a sales call about somebody working with you or, or buying your stuff and nobody objects to the price, it means you're charging way too low and you should make a dramatic price increase on the next sales conversation you have. Mm. Um somewhere around like 70 to 80 percent um, of calls you, you should actually get um, you should actually convert clients 70 to 80 percent any more than that and you're probably giving away too much or mm -hmm. you're charging too little 
Um, so that can be a little little way to to check in. I mean, it could mm-hmm. just be that what you do is amazing, and anyone who hears about it just pays whatever the price is. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few ways to set prices. Um, look at the competitors, do small percentage based increase on your own prices, and uh, do a small test, and uh, think about testing it out on new clients first before you go and raise it to your current and old clients. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, I know we're getting short on time, but there's just one last thing I wanted to ask you, which is we're, you know, at the end of 2019 here as we're recording this. So people are starting to think about planning their year for the next year. And I'm just curious Mm -hmm. if you have any kind of guidance or suggestions about how you look at doing that kind of planning? Like, I guess I'm curious whether you go after big revenue, like an annual revenue, or if you're looking at like monthly cash flow stuff, or maybe, I guess, profit, probably. (laughs) How Mm. do you approach that with your clients? (laughs) Yeah. So um, one of the first things I do with all my clients is the thing called the roadmap. And it's not very complicated to understand. The idea is that you start with whatever your goal is for the year. And you know, there's a lot out there on setting smart goals and, you know, getting to your why, you know, to make sure you've set a proper goal. It's something you want and it's, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, wait, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-based, something, I forget what the acronym is, Um, but realistic and time-based and specific and measurable, they're definitely key points. So once you've set that goal, you can usually then convert it into a number and so, for example, if you have a personal goal where you want to spend, you know, three months of the year traveling to X, Y, and Z countries, um, you can put a number on that cost. Like, mm-hmm. okay, how much money do I need to support that? If if you're working online, well, maybe it costs you a little bit less because you don't have to pay rent in your home country while you're traveling. But whatever it is, you can figure out what extra amount of money you need to achieve that goal. And then once you know what extra amount that is, you can then start working backwards. You can say, all right, that's the extra profit target I'm going for. So when we talked earlier about that 15 to 20% profit for the investor, you can flip that backwards and you can say, well, if I need this extra $20,000 of profit for next year to go traveling for a couple of months, then that's $20,000, so I might need an extra you know, anywhere from fifty to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars in revenue compared to what I did this year. Mm-hmm. And then you break that down even further. You say, okay, well, if that's the amount of revenue I need, and I charge each client this amount of money, then I need X number of clients more than I had this year. And you can split that amount across to a monthly target, and then suddenly you've got a workable KPI instead of just, oh, I'd like to go traveling. You can say, okay, I need three to five extra clients per month, if I hit that target, I can do this travel goal that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go deeper into it. It depends what specific goal you have. I haven't mentioned here that you need the time to enjoy those countries that you're traveling to. And so you might have to think about hiring someone that can free up your time or you might have to think about changing what you do so it takes less of your time. Like, There's nuances you can go into, but the basic idea is you break it down to a number and then you can work backwards from that number to set mm-hmm. yourself a monthly targets that you can aim for. 
Um, and you'll know like, okay, if I need three to five extra clients, well, I'm going to need to spend X number of dollars extra on marketing compared to what I did last year. Um, like there's a lot of uh, concrete numbers and targets you can actually get to by following this kind of a process. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Totally. Yeah, that's really good. It's a really good starting point. And I like that the goal wasn't just, oh, I want to make X amount of money, but it's, you know, I want to go traveling and how much is that going to cost? Because I think that will connect with a lot of people out there listening who were building these businesses to give us the types of lives that we want also, not just to make a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was actually one of my goals too. <laughs> I like to travel a certain amount of times per year, whether that's just, you know, two hour drive from home, go somewhere for the weekend or whether that's, you know, other side of the world, the France and Paris. So, yeah, it's whatever your goal, whatever you want uh, to achieve, there's usually some money or time-based resource that is required to, to allow you to achieve it. And then suddenly we're dealing with numbers and you can follow that process backwards. Mm-hmm. To, and it usually turns out to be a lot more achievable than people think when they walk through that. Yeah. Oh, Ben, this has been an awesome conversation. So much value. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, can you tell people, yeah, where they can get in touch with you um, if they want to, yeah, how to get in touch, how to work with you, all that good stuff? Sure. So my website is profitscollective.com. My, I have a Facebook page and a free Facebook group also called Profits Collective because that's the kind of imaginative guy I am. There's also on my website, there's a uh, free PDF. It's called Quick Profit Hunt. Um, Some of the things I've talked about on this episode, you're going to need a little bit of money to make the changes that you need or to invest in the projects and, and changes that you need in your business. And that PDF is only a couple of pages. It's got a simple like 10 or 15 minute exercise to free up a bit of profit and a bit of cash so you can then go do something amazing in your business with it. Awesome. That's great. Okay, we'll link all that up in the show notes and um, and hopefully you'll see a few wellpreneurs in your Facebook group very soon. So <laughs> thanks so much for being here, Ben. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. You can find all the links as usual in the show notes at wellpreneur.com. I hope you're feeling a lot more inspired to shift your business towards profitability to generate more freedom and flexibility in your life and your business. In case you missed it last week, I want to remind you that I have created a brand new Productivity Blocks quiz. It's just for Wellpreneurs. You can take it at wellpreneur.com slash quiz. And in that quiz, I'm going to ask you some questions to identify which one of four Productivity Blocks is keeping you stuck from doing the work that you really want to do. And once we've identified your productivity block, then I've got a video for each one to tell you specific remedies and rituals and action steps to help you move through that block. I'd love for you to take the quiz if you haven't already. You can get that at wellpreneur.com slash quiz. Okay, that's it for me this week. I will see you around our Wellpreneur community Facebook group, and I will see you right back here in the next episode. 